spring in the Arctic when two young ladies got lost for two days and two nights. Spring in the Arctic is not the same as spring in southern Canada. Temperatures can drop to minus 20, minus 30, with blizzard condi conditions come, can come at any time. Hello and welcome to Indigenous Roots and Hoots, a podcast produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. I'm your host, Gordon Spence, and thank you for joining us. Today, my guests are two young ladies who were lost, Alyssa Flaherty Spence and Lavinia Kedjuk Flaherty. Also joining us for this podcast is the hero of the story and the man who found the girls, David Sarovinik. Thank you all for being here to tell your story. I guess we'll start with Alyssa. Uh, maybe you can uh, begin by telling us a bit about the day leading up to you being lost in the Arctic. What was the weather like? What were you wearing? And, you know, maybe a brief description of what it was like that day. So for me, I was just actually there for a week prior to this incident. And I had just flown up to be there for the summer. And I think uh, that day, I think, or the night before, our cousin, uh, Andrea, and my uncle um, and his wife had invited us over um, the next day to go fishing. And so Lavinia and I were very excited. All of us with Andrew were very excited. Um, we, I, for me, it was something that I was looking forward to because I um, haven't gone, ha hadn't gone out fishing um, with them for a, a quite a long time um so leading up to it the weather was beautiful it was a sunday we were all excited it was sunny beautiful spring day perfect day to go out for me when i got to um andrea's house uh louise her mother had said to me that i shouldn't i should wear more clothing i when i went there i just had a small canada goose jacket and so she gave me a ton of more clothes to wear and she said you never know what the weather is going to be like so she dressed me and i'm so glad she did because leading up to that day there was i definitely needed those clothes <laughs> so how about you lavinia how would what was your memories uh, of that day on the Sunday that we were, uh, the morning that we were preparing to go out, uh, I was alone home with my grandma. And normally on Sundays, um, I was always told growing up that we're not supposed to go out hunting or camping because it's the Sunday and it's part of our tradition. So normally I didn't go, but because my cousin Ali was in town and I was really excited and we were going to be with my my cousin Andrea and um, Luis, uh, my aunt, 
I felt safe. Uh, I felt very, I had no worries. And it was really, really nice out that day. It was like a real hot, sunny spring day. So um, that morning, Luis called me uh, and told me to start getting ready. And I, so I got up and I packed some food, um, some snacks. And a week before that, my Aunt Mary, she gave me a parka that she made. And it was unusual because um, it just happened. And it was not like Christmas where you get random gifts, you know. So she just gave it to me and she said, maybe you'll need this this spring or whenever you decide to go out. So I was really happy in that morning, so I took it. But what didn't help uh, later on when we were missing was that my parka is all white. It's funny, like, you know, how these things happen. And like Alyssa was saying, you know, somebody actually gave her more clothes to wear. And then you got you got help, too, in that, that area. It happened to me once, too, when I, you know, got uh, I went off the road once and I just had my jean jean jacket on jeans and uh, uh, my grandmother had actually thrown some winter clothes into my trunk before I left for town that night and I went, I, I went off the road and uh, good thing I had that park and those skittle pants in the trunk otherwise I probably would have froze to death so you know I just uh, it's amazing how fate works you know sometimes to, to save our lives so how did you, like, uh, you guys were fishing, you were, you were going to head home, and, like, how did you manage to head in the wrong direction? So we wanted to actually leave the fishing spot a bit earlier uh, that day. I think Lavinia and Andrea wanted to go um, play some sports that night in, in town, and so we thought we'd leave earlier uh, Sunday night before everyone else had left. And so Lavinia and I were on one skidoo, Andrea was on another skidoo. And so, and Lavinia can can talk a little bit about this, but we essentially had borrowed some equipment, fishing equipment from another fishing spot um, for the day. And so when we, um, I think it was, someone was gonna go bring some of it back and, there was a mix of communication of us actually having to use the washroom before we left. Um, so there was a split between Lavinia and I and Andrea, and we were supposed to essentially meet up before we take off back to town. And that communication kind of went down. Um, it wasn't very clear. And so Lavinia and I ended up leaving leaving the fishing spot thinking that Andrea was actually ahead of us. Um, she had, We thought that she had taken off. And so we were on tracks and we were leaving. Um, and I think that's where it started. Was it daylight still? Like in April, I guess it would still be daylight, right? It was still pretty bright out um, because in the spring and summertime, it doesn't get dark. Uh, so we were actually asked by my Aunt Louise to return the equipment. And because me and Ali were on one skidoo, uh, we decided to take everything and... Um, I thought Andrea was behind us um, to return some of the equipment, but I didn't know that she was gone to use the bathroom before we hit the trail to go back to town. So this part, it got really confusing because um, normally there's a 
we followed a trail to go to that fishing spot from Ikhalit, um, just in one area. And once you get on that trail, um, it leads off to many trails um, out on the land. But that, sing that certain trail um, is what you have to follow. So when we were at the spot to return some of the equipment, I don't know if I heard it from Ali or if I if I heard it in my head or if I heard it before we brought the equipment back that Andrea was going to be in this certain area. And because I thought she was gone to use the bathroom, as soon as we finished returning the equipment, I I thought I saw like a skidoo light disappear into a certain area. And when I saw that light, I don't know if it was a skidoo, I don't know what it was, but when I saw it, I instantly thought we had to follow it, you know, because I thought it was Andrea. So I started driving towards that area, and next thing you know, we're on a trail, and that's when we basically got lost. How long have you been driving before you realized you were lost? I don't, we don't really even know for sure how long it was. It felt quite long, actually. It, I think we were going for maybe an hour. I don't know, Lavinia was the one driving, but we were going pretty fast. And I think there was a couple times where we, the first, when we were driving, Lavinia stopped. And that's when she, when she stopped and Andrew was not near us. That's when I think my stomach sank and I got started to get a little bit nervous um, because we were, I felt, it felt for me that we were driving for a while and then she had stopped. And I remember her saying, I don't know, I, I don't know if we're going the right way. And that's when I really, it's, it's sank in that, you know, we're in this vast area of land where we have no clue where, like, where we are. And I, for me, not growing up in Iqaluit or, or the north and, and not having experience on the land, it started to sink in for me that it was, I didn't know where I was. What, did you run out of gas eventually, or why did you turn around and go back? Hard to say right now, eh? It was actually uh, before we ran out of gas, um, because there were so many trails. Um, we were kind of like trying different ways to try and get back to where we came from. Um, so when we were on the trail, um, like Ali said, at one point we realized that we were maybe we were lost and we didn't know where we were. At that point, myself, when I realized that we were lost, I was so scared to say it. Like I was very afraid to admit it because I was the one driving and I had all these emotions going through and trying to keep cool at the same time because I didn't want her to be scared too. Um, I didn't want her to think that we were lost, even though she already knew we were lost. So we were on trails and we would turn around, try and get back on the trail that we were on before, and then we would try another way, uh, but it wasn't the way. And when you're out on the land in the north, everywhere it looks all the same when you don't know that area well. 
eventually, after trying different trails and getting back to where we were, um, maybe not exactly getting back to where we started, we eventually ran out of gas. So describe like you ran out of gas and you realize you're lost. Did you have any food or water? Uh, uh, and describe the first night. Like it must have been what time? Must be getting late at night at this point. So the skidoo actually stopped and I don't know why or how, but Lavinia and I had, were in good spirits <laughs> at the time. And we even were taking pictures with her little iPod even though the iPods back then didn't have phones, we had no GPS, we had no cell phone, no service, no satellite radio. It was still, it was probably late, later in the evening and it was still somewhat bright out in the spring in the north. It's still at that time, it's still, you can still see. So it was not dark. And so we kept, what we ended up doing, we kept walking on the trails because you can still see the tracks of the skidoos. So we, even though our skidoo, died we kept walking thinking that we were close we might be close to town or that track might take us somewhere so we kept walking and um it started to get pretty dark and pretty we weren't making it anywhere so we would you know sit down even crawl at times but we wanted to keep walking and get into where we thought we had to be and I think that night I don't have a lot of memories but it was we walked, I think, the whole night, pretty much. And I think it wasn't until early morning on Monday morning when the blizzard hit. Um, and that's when I think it's that blizzard really prevented us from going anywhere. We didn't really sleep, I think, Sunday night. I think it was more so we had walk in and then the blizzard hit. Well, and then what did you do? Like, what did you stay like? Uh, you're in a bit of a blizzard. Where did you go for shelter? It was actually that when our skidoo ran out of gas, um, we started walking. It wasn't really dark yet, but I checked my iPod and it was 6.30 um, when we ran out of gas. And then we started walking. And so we're walking on the lake and maybe within half an hour, the blizzard hit. And when we were walking on the lake, um, she would come and we would lay down on the ground and I would lay down behind her. I mean, in a way where she would block the wind from me because I was getting cold. Um, so we would lay down on the ground and the wind is, in Inutituk we call it Natukovea and it's the wind on the ground and it was getting stronger and stronger. Um, so at one point it got dark, uh, I would guess around 8.30, uh, We couldn't walk anymore, so we went behind uh, a rock, a big rock. Um, I told her we're going to have to get sh some shelter or find some shelter, and there was nothing anywhere. I know that if anything happens, you either have to go like behind a rock or anything that could protect you from... Um, the wind or anything like that when you're out on the land so from that memory I have growing up I we decided to go on a big rock and then we dug out so much snow that night and we made the hole big enough so that we can both fit in there did you have any food or water I packed some snacks um, 
I normally, if I'm going anywhere with anyone, I bring enough for one because I know everyone else will, will have their own food. But because Ali was with us and knowing that I'm going to be with her most of the most of the time without any clue that we're going to get lost, I packed all the food double. So there was like um, some crackers, some fruit. Um, I brought a thermos of hot water with tea bags and some chocolate bars. And that's all we had. So you pretty much walked all night into the next day. And you said the blizzard came in on the, the following day. How long did you spend in that spot? The blizzard passed. How long was blizzard? I actually, I don't really know how long we stayed in that blizzard behind the rock but i think that's where it was that night and the second night where you really you're not moving you're not walking you're just there you know hoping i almost i didn't want to fall asleep i didn't want to close my eyes too much because i was scared i was going to fall asleep and not wake up um i remember things around that time near the the rock where we would have to brush the snow off because we were starting to get buried with the snow and I remember one time my mitt, uh, because the wind was so strong, my the wind pulled my mitt off and I wanted to go after it. And Lavinia said, no, don't, because then it was so white out. You couldn't even walk 10 feet without getting, you know, almost lost. Yeah. So we, anyways, the next day, um, it started, the blizzard started to, you know, die down a bit and we started walking again. And because of the blizzard, there was no trails. The trails were gone. The tracks were gone from the skidoos. That's when I think that day and the next day was when I started to lose a lot of like energy and Lavinia was the one more so guiding us walking of where we needed to go. But for me, it was... I think reflecting on it, it's I, we didn't even know where to go, but we thought we heard skidoos. For me, I thought I heard skidoos. And so we thought, let's just go where we think we heard it. And I remember even just stopping and looking and we're like, I would say to Lavinia, wait, do you hear that? And <laughs> we don't know if we actually heard anything. I still don't know if we actually heard anything, if it actually was anything. So was this like the second day or... What did you like? What did you? Where were you the second night? Yeah, so it was actually uh, like the first night. Um, that was when the blizzard hit. So we were walking for about an hour and a half, two yeah. hours. There, um, the yeah. blizzard hit. So then we stopped on the first night. I remember um, it got bright again. So then I figured it's the next day, and then the next day we were behind the big rock for the whole day. And at one point, uh, the wind died down a bit and we were able to get up and we wanted to try and walk. Um, but then when we started walking again, um, the blizzard hit really hard again. So we had to stop. We went on another rock and we dug some snow again. And <clears throat> I remember that same moment because we hadn't been up for I don't know how many hours um, our legs my body my legs were so tired 
Like I had pins and needles for hours and then I couldn't move my body because I had no energy. So when I got up, we both got up, I just instantly fell like a puppet. And even though we were in a very serious situation, I started laughing and I told Ali, like, I can't feel my legs. Um, my whole body is hurting from being just sitting down for hours. So then the next day, we were finally able to get up. Uh, we got stuck again on from the blizzard um, behind another rock and waited for hours. Um, I would guess that's like on the Tuesday. And then on the Wednesday, that's when we were found. The second rock that we were on, I think I started hallucinating. I was so thirsty and dehydrated and hungry and tired because we were not sleeping. Uh, every time one of us would fall asleep, we would nudge each other because we were so afraid of like really falling asleep and like we both didn't want to be alone and if she fell asleep, I would nudge her, same thing, vice versa. Um, so that night or that day, I woke up and I was laying down flat on the ground and I thought I saw a helicopter. Um, I'm pretty sure I was hallucinating, but I was staring at it and I can see the helicopter and I just couldn't really hear anything because it was so windy. And I said to Ali, there's a helicopter right there. And she looked and she said, where? And she turned her body really slowly and I slowly got up thinking, like, we're going to have to get up. But there was nothing there. So it was really getting to us uh, mentally and physically. Did you ever feel like giving up? Um, I th For me, yeah. On the, I think on the last day was when it was um, really hard. And um, for me, it was, um, I kept thinking about being at home with my parents, with, with my family, with everyone. And the fact that, with the blizzard, without any food, without knowing where you are anywhere. Um, I think also, like Lavinia said, in the north, it's everything looks the same. There's no trees. There's no there's no indication of where you are. So at times, yes, I was definitely thinking about giving up. It's almost like the way that I describe it to people is when someone is about to pass away, they're okay with passing away like as someone with cancer or someone who's on their not doing well at times someone if someone feels like they know that they're they're leaving they may be okay with it and that's I don't, unfortunately that's how I felt and sometimes I look back and I wonder how come I didn't have the strength to push myself but it was Lavinia who was the one that actually kept pushing me and when I would physically fall down she would say, get up, we're going home. Anana's waiting for us, like our grandmother. You know, she she was the one that I never saw her cry, even though she's told me she did. She would say, let's go. And she would literally pick me up. There was times where I would fall through the snow on the hard snow and stuff, soft snow. And she would t pick me up and say, let's go, we're going home. And so I'm thankful that she was able, she was with me, if anyone. So we helped each other get through this. Yes. Almost a tragedy. Describe uh, your meeting with David leading up to that. How did you see in all this time there was, I had arrived uh, for those who are listening, Alyssa's my daughter. 
Uh, I was working in Winnipeg at the time, and uh, I got the call and immediately packed my bags and flew from Winnipeg to Ottawa and picked up Martha and Christian. And next morning, we flew over to Wicalowit. Martha was crying all night and pretty much cried all the way to Wicalowit. It was very hard. But when we got to Wicalowit, we were met by uh, Jimmy Akavak. We went to the search and rescue office, and they told us that... Uh, what the plan was and uh, that they had 30 some odd skidoos out looking for you guys and plus a, an airplane and a helicopter. And he reassured us, you know, he gave us comfort. They were gonna find you guys. And uh, that made me feel, feel a lot better. Well, made me feel somewhat better. Knowing that all those people were out there looking for you and people were talking about you on the radio and people across Nunavut were Praying for you guys gave us comfort, but it's a real scary experience knowing, feeling, thinking maybe, you know, you'll never see your daughter again. It's funny how the body starts to shut down in emotionally. I guess it's kind of a protective mechanism. So, but uh, did you hear any helicopters or any skidoos uh, prior to seeing David uh, in the area, in the vicinity? Because there was a lot of skidoos looking for you guys. Or on the third day, um, Ali was talking about, you know, losing hope and feeling like she wanted to give up. But I had, in a way, I felt like something was rushing me inside. Um, like something was telling me we can't give up and I felt like if I showed any sign of hopelessness or um, like I was scared or like I didn't want to do anything anymore it wouldn't help Ali in any way I was feeling um, not the exact same way how Ali was feeling because she was depending on me and so on the third day when we were walking and walking and walking, um, the sunlight, the lightness, the energy that we had from eating the few snacks that we had and the wind that died down, to me that was like, there was so much hope. Even though I was super tired and I was feeling uh, defeated in ways and I was putting myself in both shoes, like what if we're not found? Um, where will we be found at least if we're not alive anymore and if we are found there's so much lightness still that there is a chance that we will get found um, so the feeling I had was both and I said that there it felt like something was rushing me inside like something kept telling me that we have to keep walking and we have to hurry up because it's going to get dark before we know it and I was able to hear some skidoos and planes and helicopters at some points, but I was so focused on just keep walking, just keep walking. And my body was um, so tired and mentally I was surviving and I was on survival mode. But I saw David skidoo. That's when my whole body dropped, like I collapsed to the ground. Like my emotions passed. When I saw the skidoo, I was very relieved. And when I saw the skidoo, 
I had no idea that we were walking towards um like a like a cabin, abandoned cabin. To me, it looked like rock because I couldn't see very far. So leading up to on the last day, we were Lavinia and I were walking, and she was ahead of me. And because of the blizzard and the wind, the snow had bunched in my hair or my my hood, and so my head kept looking down. I had so much weight on my hood that I had my neck down my my head down and I was looking down and I lift my head up once in a while and to look at Lavinia and she was the one leading where we were walking and I would follow her footsteps and she was ahead of me and we were walking on flat land um, and we figured if someone was going to find us if there was a helicopter there's better chance for them to find us somewhere where there's not a lot of tundra uh, where we're in the middle of white. So Lavinia was walking and I was exhausted and Lavinia started screaming. And I look up and she's waving and she is like screaming and screaming. And so at a far distance, I see a skidoo going. And it's and like Lavinia said, it was going to a cabin, which we both had never seen prior to seeing the skidoo. And then Lavinia and I were running, trying to wave. And that's when the next thing I, I remember is the skidoo light just coming closer and closer and bouncing. When you see a skidoo straight on, you see the light getting bigger. And that's when I, I couldn't believe I was going home. David, the hero, shows up. Describe your day, the day that Leading up to that, what were you doing? At the, you were at home, uh, I understand, and you were getting bored, couldn't leave. Uh, they told you to wait. Is that, is that right? And, uh, tell us a bit about how you found the girls. I first heard about the girls when Search and Rescue called me. If I was able to go assist in search, of course I said yes, but they didn't need me right away, so they called me the next day and see if I could go. But the blizzard was still going, so I didn't. I didn't want to go in the blizzard. That's my weak spot. So they never called me back, unfortunately. I think it was good because of that. <laughs> um, but Jamie as well called me up from the cabin that they were waiting out the blizzard, uh, Silver Grinnell Lake, I think. So that made some difference that I wanted to do something by myself. So I went to the search and rescue meeting that was going on to go listen and keep up to date what's going on. Eventually, on the third day, I went to that meeting again and to keep up date and decided I'll go caribou hunting, which I didn't. I went on a search. So I went by myself around 10 o'clock, but I told the wildlife officer I'm going caribou hunting in that direction. I'll be keeping out for the girls. So that's what I did. I saw some searchers. I bumped into them and asked them, what's new? What's going on? Nothing. Nothing's going on right now. Just searching and searching. So we went our separate ways. And I had planned to go to the Ferguson cabin. That's where I found the girls from. So I did. When I went up there, I was hungry. So I was getting ready to eat. And then there was a little bird flying above the cabin, hysterically, up and down. And like a hummingbird in the direction of the girls. If I looked further, 
past that, I would have seen them run away. But only after minutes later, I did see them. I thought they were caribou, so I looked at them with my binoculars, and then um, there they were, two girls walking. And that was awesome for me to see. While I was getting ready to go into eat, I saw the bird flying above the cabin, hysterically, up and down, and then in one spot like a hummingbird, right in the direction of the two girls. Is that normal? Like, is that a normal thing a bird would do, or...? No, no, it's not normal to me. Absolutely not. But so you think it was trying to get your attention for the girls? I wasn't really thinking of that, but it just came to be, I think, I believe it was, uh, I was trying to be told through the bird. You took out your binoculars? Yeah, I took out my binoculars and then I scoped at them and they were the two girls. And that was a really awesome sight to see. How did you feel? Great, like, wow. I was just really happy. <laughs> but, <laughs> it took me a while, like, I had to yeah. look at the second second time to make sure they're they're them, and then yeah. I finally went to go race to them. So how did you how did you feel, Lavinia and Ali? Like uh, how did you feel when you saw him coming? And I was first to see David because Ali was behind me walking, and <clears throat> she would put her head down, and um, <clears throat> so I'm walking, and I'm I keep looking forward. Um, but before this, when we were, um, during the day, we, were, we stopped at this really big rock. And that's when we decided to um, have the snack. After we ate, um, we were laying down against the big rock. And I think we both fell asleep. And I got woken up to what sounded like a ptarmigan. It was on my left side, and I can hear it. When you know the sound of the ptarmigan, you recognize the sound. But again, at the same time, it, it didn't sound like a ptarmigan. Like it was a bird. You can hear that it's a bird, but I didn't see it. To my left, I heard it. So I I woke up, and I and then I had that feeling of, we need to get up and start walking again. And that's when I woke up Ali, and I nudged her, and I told her, we have to keep going. And she didn't want to get up. She didn't want to walk. And I told her, we're going home today. Um, our family's waiting for us. And we have to keep walking. I can't leave you here. You're going to have to come with me. And I kept telling her repetitively, even though she was being really <laughs> stubborn. <laughs> so we kept walking. And I think hours later, two, three hours later, after walking so much, I see ahead of me like a skidoo light and for the first three seconds I was looking at it thinking like am I going crazy is that really a skidoo light and and then it hit me it's moving and it then it stopped at a cabin which I thought was a rock and when it stopped I saw the person skidoo and then it disappeared the cabin because the door is on the other side of where I was looking and I started screaming from the top of my lungs like I've never screamed in my life 
and I was waving and waving and I was telling Ali, there's a skidu like as loud as I can. I've I even to this day I've never screamed that loud and I have no reason to. I'm screaming and screaming screaming and then I see a human from the other side of the cabin. He it looked like he took out a gun. But now I know it's uh, it was binoculars that he was using because I didn't know until this day that he was using binoculars. And I can see him. He he kind of tilted his body um, like you're looking sideways. And I can see him. He's sitting, uh, standing still. And then he rushes back to the skidu. And that's when I knew he's coming. He saw us. Like he saw two girls or two be two people and at that point I was I'm pretty sure I was on the ground crying laughing screaming and everything in between like I was so happy I then again saw I put my head up and he was closer and he came so fast that when he came by the skidoo he I I think he shut off the skidoo but even though he shut it off, the skidoo was still moving. And he just jumped off of it and ran to us. And he hugged us. Wow. That must have been one beautiful feeling to see this guy, uh, this angel up here, as you guys called him. Uh, how, how did you feel, Alik? I think, it, well, Lavinia gave him a hug. I was way behind because I was slow and strangling so <laughs> i i ran to him gave him a hug and i remember i didn't want to let go because i was like don't leave us <laughs> i was scared <laughs> i didn't want to let go so he i remember he took us to the cabin he put us on the skidoo took us to the cabin and i remember the first thing i ate he gave us was uh he gave me a roast beef sandwich typically i wouldn't eat a roast beef sandwich but at that point you don't care what you're eating. You want something. So I still remember how good that roast beef sandwich was. <laughs> yeah. You must have all been pretty ecstatic by the sounds of it to uh, to have found the girls and the girls of, of uh, being rescued. I can imagine the emotions that were running through all of you at this point. How far had you traveled? Um, I left around 10 in the morning. I went to the Ferguson cabin by around five, so that's about seven or eight hours. How many, how many kilometers would that be about? I don't know. I heard that you guys were way out on the northwest outer edges of the search and rescue area. You had gone northwest instead of going southeast. Uh, did you have a radio when you, after you found the girls? How did they get, you guys get back? I understand there was a helicopter that came and got them. How did that work? I had a satellite phone. I called home to my wife and told her that I found the two girls and asked her to call search and rescue and the family, and she did. So about maybe 45 minutes later, a helicopter came with a wildlife officer on board, and the girls were inside the cabin. They didn't come out. He came with me to see what the situation is in there. We had to help the girls to come out to, to, to go to the helicopter. They were too weak, exhausted. So we helped them in and they took off. They waved, of course. Yeah. That was good. 
and you went back, you drove back, obviously. Did you go back right away? Uh, not right away. No. I went to kind of search for the skidoo, but I didn't find it because I lost the girl's tracks. So all that mattered was they're okay. So I just went home after that. I got home around 10 o'clock. So that was from 10 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. So that's 12 hours yeah. altogether. Considering so that was it for me. Wow, that's an amazing story. When we took off from the helicopter, as soon as we got in the air, we can see all the search and rescue members and they were all waving at us. And this whole time since the moment we saw the skidoo until, I don't know, late that night, we were just crying on and off. <laughs> as soon as me and Ali would look at each other, we'd cry again. One of the best things was seeing David coming um, on his skidoo. That third day, uh, we realized uh, we were at Elizabeth's place, Martha and I, and we were getting pretty, I don't know, we were almost losing hope, I guess. And it was around six o'clock where I was pacing the floor and I was praying to God for them to find you. I was dreading another night for you guys to be out there. I heard the phone ring and then I heard somebody screaming with joy saying that they found you guys. And I must have jumped six feet in the air. I was so happy. <laughs> I tell you, you know, it's like the world came off my shoulders. That was just, we all started screaming and crying and laughing and tears of joy and relief and thank you, God. And, you know, thank everybody for their prayers. It was a miracle, you know. It really was for us. It was an incredible, incredible time. I want to thank you guys for uh, sharing your story with us. Legacy Hope Foundation certainly appreciates your your contribution to the work that we're doing. Your your story will be with the Legacy Hope Foundation for years and years to come. Your children, your grandchildren will have an opportunity to listen to this at some point. And uh, I just want to close off by thanking David, especially you, man, you know, you did so much for for us and for the girls. And, and I know you're going through a hard time right now. You're going through chemo. I pray to God that things get better for you. David Salivinak was born in, in Igloo in Resolute Bay after arriving on a ship from Inukjuak, Nunavik, Quebec, where his family was relocated from by the government of Canada. He has since moved to Iqaluit, where he has been living for the past 23 years. He is retired from the Nunavut government for the past 10 years and enjoys spending time with his family, going out on the land, camping, hunting, and fishing. David is currently going through chemotherapy in Ottawa. We wish him well and for a full recovery. Alyssa Flaherty Spence has gone on to complete her law degree from the University of Ottawa and now works as an associate lawyer for the law firm of Gowlings WLG in Ottawa. Alyssa works on indigenous claims and litigation matters, including class actions, such as the Federal Indian Day School Settlement. She is also the president and chairperson for the Inuit Children's Centre in Ottawa. She now lives in Cheney, Ontario, with her boyfriend, Mike Villeneuve, and their dog, Diesel. Alyssa enjoys traveling and listening to country music. Lavinia Kitjuk Flaherty grew up in Greece, New York, Dunavut the most northern community in Canada. 
She moved to Iqaluit in 2002, but is now living and working in Kujuac, Nunavik, Quebec. She works as a coordinator for the Good Touch, Bad Touch program for the Nunavik Health Board in prevention and programming on family and child abuse. Lavinia enjoys going out on the land, camping, hunting, fishing, eating and sewing. She has two sons, ages eight and five. Thank you for your time and participation in this podcast of Indigenous Roots and Boots by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Roots and Hoots is produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. For more podcasts like this, please visit our website at legacyofhope.ca.